Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Welcome to the Jet Press Podcast. My name is Justin Freed, and I'm joined by my man, Mike Luciano. Mike, what's going on, man? How you doing? I'm feeling great for our second episode. Make sure to like, comment, subscribe, all that good stuff. Head over to Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, Spotify, wherever it is that you get your podcasts. Give us a five-star review. I swear it's not for our egos to get us up those review charts. Do that if you love the Jet Press, the New York Jets. Just want to shout us out, whatever it may be. Let's get started, Justin, because it has quite the eventful week in Jets fan. When is it not an eventful week? I know. The, the Jets own the offseason, man. The Jets own the offseason. We've had, I mean, our last podcast, we went live moments, essentially moments before the Jets fired Mike LaFleur, uh, which was, you know, that was an interesting time considering we talked a lot about Mike LaFleur in that episode. Now we have, you know, a lot to talk about with the offensive coordinator situation, everything going on with Lamar Jackson, with the quarterback situation. There's a lot to dive into. I think it's good if we start with Lamar Jackson and we talk about that situation because that is something that I know is on the the hot burner, if you will say, uh, of Jets fandom right now. What's going on with Lamar? Do the Jets have a realistic chance of, tra- of trading for him? Do are the Ravens actually going to trade him? Is he on the move? Mike, what do you think uh, about the Lamar Jackson situation? Is this a realistic possibility for the Jets? L- well, looking at the Ravens right now, you can tell just the vibes are off. S- something's not right here. Now, I'm not implying that Lamar is doing one of those, you know, I'm not pl- uh, playing until you pay me kind of thing. I don't think he's that kind of guy. But at the same time, some- something's wrong here because quarterback negotiations with guys of this caliber normally are not this messy, which leads me to believe that there is some part of Baltimore that just wants to wash their hands this whole thing and go, screw it, and let's rebuild. We've kind of hit a ceiling. So I would not be surprised in that regard. Now, one thing that you have to be – worried about if you're a Jets fan because you want to do a pros and cons kind of thing here. So let's just start with some of the negatives because there are a few. Part of the problem, I think, with Lamar Jackson, how he's viewed is a lot of the criticism early in his career, especially coming out of Louisville, was so backwards. And honestly, some of it slightly racially tinged, I think is fair to say, about his ability to be a quarterback, process in the pocket, take instruction, So we had to go into overdrive defending this guy, but he's amazing. He's a terrific leader. He's a great teammate, all those things. But there are some problems that have popped up lately because he's been the MVP. The last two years he's been good. I don't know about transcendently by himself he's going to get you to a Super Bowl good. Now at the same time, Greg Roman as offensive coordinator, certainly not what you want. Demarcus Robinson is number one wide receiver in the year 2023, or any year for that matter. Certainly not what you want, but the Jets will then have to not only trade for a guy, but pay an injury-prone guy because he's missed the last parts of the last two years with injuries, close to $250 million or most of it guaranteed, which is not a thing that you should just take lightly because you have to pay Sauce Gardner, you have to pay Brees Hall, you have to pay Garrett Wilson, you have to pay Quinn Williams eventually 
all these guys are going to get contracts. So this will really hamstring them for a little bit. But at the same time, I mean, Lamar freaking Jackson does not become available every single year. A guy who in any given game can account for 90% of the total offense between rushing and, and throwing. These guys don't come off and very much. Don't come available very much. No, they don't. So no, you're absolutely right. Jets, you got to go. If, if all this talk about we're going to pay whatever price we want for a veteran quarterback, this is the guy you got to get. I, I agree with you. And it seems more and more likely as the days go on that he is going to be on a move. If you asked me six months ago if, if Lamar Jackson was not going to be a Baltimore Raven in 2023, I would have said no. But right now, I mean, look at the latest betting odds. The Jets are higher than the Ravens as to who Jackson is going to play for in 2023. That's pretty wild. And I think that that's, that's telling of how much that situation has deteriorated in Baltimore. It all revolves around his contract situation and guaranteed money. That's the root of the issue. I think a lot of people know this at this point, but for those who don't, uh, you know, this this conversation has been going on for a year inside that organization, if not longer. Uh, Lamar Jackson wants a contract very similar to the one that Deshaun Watson received, a fully guaranteed deal with the, you know, the, the most guarantees by far of any quarterback in the NFL or any player that's ever played in the NFL. That's what he wants. And, and he's got the advantage of saying, well, Deshaun Watson, I mean, exactly. we don't have to go through chapter and verse about all the things that he's been accused of and having found to have done. So he just has the the uh, the easy out about saying, well, I didn't do any of that stuff. Sure. And, I'm and, better. Even, and even, yeah, exactly. And even more, I think even more importantly, like he can say, look, I've won an MVP. I've accomplished more in my career than Deshaun Watson has. Yet a team in our same division paid this guy this contract. He has a precedent to go off of. And unfortunately for the Ravens, they either have to pay up or essentially some other team will. And I think that's the situation that they've run into. It is very much uh, against the Baltimore Ravens kind of ideology as a franchise to, to give up or give out that much guaranteed money. You see that from Joe Douglas because he gets a lot of stuff from that Ravens organization. Of course, he was with the Ravens for a really long time. Uh, the, he, they, the Ravens aren't necessarily a team that's going to give out a lot of guaranteed money. So for something like this, especially with the obvious red flags with Lamar Jackson, they're really hesitant to do so. And I don't think they're going to do it. I also don't think that Lamar Jackson is going to bend because knowing Lamar Jackson, knowing the kind of guy he is, he's very prideful. He's very confident in his own abilities. And, and I think we saw that this year. That's why he kind of played on that fifth year option to, to you know, potentially boost his value. He bet on himself. Did it work? I think we'll see this offseason if it worked, depending on the contract he gets. But I do think there's a strong chance he's on the move. As for the Jets... That one is is iffy to me. I think the biggest issue with the Jets and Lamar Jackson is timing. I don't even think it's the red flags. I, I think it's the timing of it. Because you have the Dar Derek Carr situation. Likely, that has to be wrapped up by February 15th. That's when a portion of his contract becomes guaranteed. That's when the, the Raiders are going to either cut him or trade him. If there are teams interested in trading for him, he will be traded before the 15th, whether it's the Jets or someone else. If not, he could be cut. But the issue is... if the Jets kind of go all in on Lamar and kind of and, and hope for that situation to, to, you know, deteriorate to the point where the Ravens move him. They might miss on car. So it's a really interesting timing situation for the Jets. And I don't know if that Joe Douglas is going to be going all in on Lamar Jackson for that reason. But it's definitely interesting to follow. You also got to consider, too, one thing that Baltimore I will give credit for, even though I think Greg Roman is incredibly in over his head at this point in the NFL coaching, not only any offense, but I want – that's run by a guy like Lamar Jackson. It's like driving a Maserati and this guy just, he should be driving like a Ford Focus. Like that's the, the disparity in terms of the coaching talent and his ability to accentuate the talent that he has on the, uh, the roster right now. The problem, the thing I'll give the Ravens credit for 
is they built the entire team from the ground up around Lamar Jackson. They got tremendous offensive linemen and invested in them, guys who can run block. The Jets right now, is that offensive line much better than the Ravens? That's yep. going to be a big problem, especially when you're going to run Lamar probably 10 times every game. They also got an offensive coordinator who, for all his faults, is pretty good at generating productive run games and has shown that in his career. The Jets right now do not have that. They don't have any offensive coordinator, let alone one that is familiar with. Like They're not going to hire like a guy like Greg Roman to run like a Lamar Jackson kind of offense. And also, when he got hurt, Tyler Huntley came in and kind of ran the, the great value store brand version of that offense. So they have to get a backup quarterback that can also play like Lamar Jackson just in case the knee problems continue. So it's not just acquiring him. you got to do a ton of work to just overhaul the entire roster, to be quite honest. And then you got to pay him $250 million. Yeah, I, I agree. I want to talk about that Greg Roman system for a little bit because I, I have a unique perspective on this. For those who don't know, I covered the Ravens for a very long time for the last like two years. So I've watched every Ravens game pretty much over the last two years. I've seen that Greg Roman offense. I saw how early in his career, Greg Roman built a system and built a scheme that maximized Lamar Jackson's strengths and masked his weaknesses. He did a great job of that. Unfortunately, Greg Roman has not evolved that system. He hasn't adapted that offensive scheme. And as a result, now Lamar Jackson has improved significantly as a passer, but you don't get to see it that often because of that Greg Roman system. I think that same system that helped to develop him and help mask his weaknesses early in his career is now hiding a lot of his strengths. People don't realize it, or at least I think some don't, but Lamar Jackson has improved significantly as a passer. His anticipation, his touch, he's a lot better. He's not perfect. I think his deep accuracy still needs a lot of work, but he's a much better passer than a lot of people give him credit for now. Not the player he was coming out of Louisville, but now. And that Greg Roman system really holds him back. Um, I would love to see, and I'm not saying this is exactly like a Justin Herbert situation, but I'd love to see him with the training wheels off. I want to see him in an offense, whether it's with the Jets or somewhere else, where he can explore his 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 improvements as a passer. And he doesn't have to rely on those design runs and, and those condensed packages that the Ravens do, because honestly, I really think it limits him. And I, I, I really love to see him just kind of fly elsewhere. Here's the the pitch that I would make if you're the Jets and you want to get Lamar Jackson. Just look at the AFC right now. There's seven playoff spots. Let's be honest, three of them for the next half decade at a minimum are pretty much going to be locked in. Patrick Mahomes and the Chiefs in every year unless something crazy happens. Josh Allen on the Bills in every year unless something crazy happens. Joe Burrow, probably, because this guy's getting Brady-like luck in his first couple years, and that just never – that doesn't bow well. Bengals are going to be around for a little bit. Look, look elsewhere. Russell Wilson, he's going to be bad. There's no possible way that the Broncos are going to be that bad again. Justin Herbert throwing laser beams when he's not being held back by Joe Lombardi. Trevor Lawrence, guy's him. He proved it already in that Chargers win. Tua, we have some concerns. He'll be fine generally if he stays healthy. That is a loaded conference. And that's not even taking into account the fact that guys like Bryce Young and C.J. Stroud are probably going to come in as draft picks. They could be good. This conference is loaded with quarterbacks. Do you really think like Gardner Minshew or Baker Mayfield – or one of the Ryan Tannehill, do you think they're really going to make a difference in this conference at this stage? For one year, maybe. You need to build a sustainable winner. And the only quarterback right now that can do it on a level where you can compete with the Kansas Cities and the Buffaloes and the Cincinnatis, it's Lamar Jackson. Now, Derek Carr can get you close, but there's no one close to Lamar Jackson right now in terms of talent available on the market. So if you let him go, and he goes to like Atlanta and he dominates, you're never going to live that down. 
Yeah, no, I, and here's the thing: like people mis mistake that like the red flags are obvious, right? And I want to I want to get to this uh, comment here by from Kev. He said the running running QB needs to be 100 healthy to be effective. Lamar already with his knee problems is a forewarning bad sign, and that's that's absolutely true. And I think the Jets or any team are going to see that. Hey, look, Lamar Jackson may not have had any injuries before last season, but he's now had back like consecutive knee injuries, and you know those knee injuries weren't they didn't they didn't come about by him scrambling. He was hit in the pocket, or at least when he was throwing on both of those plays. But that is a concerning situation, especially because this like latest knee injury is kind of a mystery. We don't really know what's going on with that situation. Uh, it, there's been some you know speculation, some some people just speculating that it could be a long term issue that he might require surgery. And if that's the case, that kind of changes everything to me. But what we know now is that he's had consecutive knee injuries, and that is a concerning sign. However, I will say this: there has never been a player like Lamar Jackson in the NFL. He's better not than even Michael, close. Better than Michael Vick ever was. We have never seen anything like Lamar Jackson. That is a completely unprecedented situation. Randall so, Cunningham, us, maybe. And even then, Randall Cunningham yeah. did not run with this frequency. No, he did not. No, he did not. And it was a different era then, too. Um, you know, Cunningham's probably your your closest comparison, either, you know, Cunningham or Vick, but even still, none of those guys compare to what Lamar Jackson has done. It's an unprecedented situation to try and predict how his future will look, right? Is he still going to be a great quarterback at age 30? I don't know. But I, I also think um, this is where I'm willing to bank on the talent because I think that seeing the improvements he's made as a passer over the last few years, I am confident enough that even if his body breaks down and he isn't the same dynamic playmaker that he is by age 31, 32, whenever, I'm confident enough to say that I still think he'll be a good quarterback because he has improved as a passer significantly. Um, I'm willing to bank on that talent with him. And that's why I think I would be all for the Jets going after Lamar Jackson. I don't think it happens, but if they were to do it, even with the red flags of, hey, he's had now consecutive knee injuries, I'm still confident enough in his talent. I'm willing to bank on him because I've seen him improve significantly as a passer. I'm willing to bank on him continuing to improve. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue, all in the Kroger app. Get three-pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona Tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details. Well, one thing that it will be true no matter who they end up with a quarterback is they will need a new offensive coordinator. And Robert Sala has talked a big game about we're not necessarily going to hire a Shanahan guy which is a pretty sharp deviation from his normal hiring practices. However, that doesn't completely erase the he's just hiring one of his buddies' criticisms that have been levied at him. Because like, that's what people some, said about Mike LaFleur to some degree. Hiring is, like, he was the best man at Matt LaFleur's wedding, crying out loud. And then he hires his brother. So is he going to hire one of his friends? Well, potentially. And if he hires Nathaniel Hackett, who he worked with in Jacksonville, which is becoming a potential reality because he is interviewing for this job. This would be, as we said in the last podcast, this would be like reading a riot act because did we just like forget? Do we not watch the same Broncos games that were on primetime every freaking week for like five weeks in a row? Like, did they just get memory hold? Are they from like an alternate dimension? We know what was going on there was Nathaniel Hackett. I get this is a head coach offensive coordinator. Thing. I get that. This guy was in charge of that offense. Their offensive coordinator was a high school coach four or five years ago. This was Nathaniel Hackett's offense, and they were as painful 
as predictable, as ineffective in the red zone, which is allegedly his specialty, because that's what he did in Green Bay. And that you look at that and you say, all right, that's what he did with Russell Wilson, where he's going to somehow fix everything with the Jets? What? I'm really at a loss for words, because I can't find a way to justify this. Well, Green Bay, he didn't call any plays in Green Bay. That was Matt LaFleur's doing, another solid buddy. And all Hackett did was just watch the office with Aaron Rodgers in the film room and then work on the red zone, which, as we repeat, he was terrible at last year. I can't find any reason to bring him on. I really can't. I, I take it you're not an Nathaniel Hackett fan. That's just, just I'm just surmising. I'm just guessing. Actually, I think he'd be fantastic. Yeah, hey, uh, it makes sense. Right, <laughs> uh, I, I want to bring up because you mentioned Aaron Rodgers there, and we talked about this a little bit before the show. And you know, I've seen people talking about this on Twitter. Aaron Rodgers is not coming to the Jets. Even if they hire Nathaniel Hackett, Aaron Rodgers is not leaving Green Bay. If he is leaving Green Bay, it's to retire. It's not to go to another team. He's not. Oh, we'll hire Aaron Rodgers, uh, Nathaniel Hackett to get Aaron Rodgers. Does that not sound like what Denver said right. when they hired this guy? Like, yeah, it's they're, learn they're, from uh, your mistakes, people, for crying out loud. <laughs> Aaron Rodgers, they, the Packers can't move that contract. Uh, so you know, even though there was some speculation, maybe the Packers could trade him. It, it's it's really not going to happen. Like it, it would be shocking if the Packers were to trade Aaron Rodgers because of the dead cap they'd have to take on for the dead cap the team uh, or the, the, the cap you know the team trading for him would have to take on it is pretty much an unreasonable situation uh on top of that yeah I don't think that that Rodgers is going to follow Hackett to the Jets because he literally just didn't do that he didn't follow Hackett to the Broncos right that's the the Broncos hired Nathaniel Hackett it's not proven but you know speculation they hired him to get Aaron Rodgers to come there the Jets aren't going to do the same thing. They're interested in Hackett because he's a veteran offensive coordinator, right? I'll, I'll play the devil's advocate for you for a second, even though I agree I would not like Nathaniel Hackett uh, as the Jets offensive coordinator. But they're interviewing him because, one, he does have the connection to Salah, obviously, but also he's an experienced offensive coordinator. He's been in the NFL for a while. He has had multiple stints as an offensive coordinator. He just had a very disastrous stint as a head coach, but he was a head coach. Uh, he has the experience that they're looking for, and, of course, he's worked with Matt LaFleur. He's worked with Robert Sala. That's why they're bringing him in. Now, I would very much not like the Jets to hire Nathaniel Hackett, but I could see why they're bringing him in uh, as long as it doesn't really go beyond, hey, you know, maybe we can bring you back as an offensive assistant because that's fine. I'm totally fine with him being an offensive, like a veteran offensive assistant in the room as long as he's not the one calling plays and running that offense because – like you said, Matt LaFleur did a lot of the work in Green Bay. The Jets don't have that. The Jets have Robert Sala. Robert Sala is not touching the offense. That's not his thing. So if they, whoever they hire as their offensive coordinator, this is their offense. I don't want this to be Nathaniel Hackett's offense. I don't think you want this to be Nathaniel Hackett's offense. People will point to like that one great year he had with Blake Bortles in Jacksonville. He was their quarterback's coach. Well, Greg Olson was the offensive coordinator, and we could talk about him in, in, in a moment, but that's somebody maybe the Jets should look at. Uh, on top of that, I don't think Bortles' career after uh, after that was anything impressive, especially once Hackett took over as the offensive coordinator. He was fired as the offensive coordinator in Jacksonville because he was bad. Then he went to Green Bay, kind of rode Matt LaFleur's coattails and got a head coach job, maybe to lure away Aaron Rodgers. That's basically Nathaniel Hackett's career. And, of course, you'll mention his father, Paul Hackett. We could talk about that. and Maybe there's some nepotism at play. Nathaniel Hackett has not really proven at any level to be a good offensive coordinator. So I'm, I'm with you. I don't want him as the offensive coordinator of the Jets. I do get why they're interviewing him, but not not for me. So Jets fans of a certain age may not remember. Paul Hackett was as revived. This was before all the All-22 and all these different ways to access and analyze the game were available, where it's made fans a little just smarter generally and able to criticize the offense schematically and say, oh, this guy doesn't know what he's doing. 
I mean, Paul Hackett was getting run out of town with pitchforks and torches. I mean, it was bad, those early 2000s Jets teams. And you're going to bring in his son. Like, like, learn from your mistakes. Learn from your past history. Now, now I'm glad you brought that up, his, his past uh, offensive coordinator history. Because before Green Bay, he's been offensive coordinator for four and a half, let's call it five seasons, because he replaced Greg Olson midway through the season. So let's just call it five seasons. Two of them with Buffalo, three of them with Jacksonville. Now, remember those lightning air raid, uh, EJ Manuel-led Bills offenses that were just you know dominating the league and setting trends for years to come? That was Nathaniel Hackett's doing. So in two years, in terms of total points, he ranked 22nd in 2013, and he ranked 18th in 2014. He actually had a good running game that first year. Passing offense, 28th in yards, 30th in touchdowns. That's not the guy to fix quarterback? I don't think so. Then he goes to Jacksonville, middle of the year in, in 2016, 25th in points per game. Then he has that crazy fluke year with Blake Bortles when they get to the championship game on the back of that amazing defense, which he had nothing to do with, and they actually had a pretty good year. Then immediately after that, 31st in points, 30th in rushing touchdowns, 30th in passing touchdowns, 26th in passing yards, gets axed. And then he goes to Green Bay to beat Aaron Rodgers. Like, that's not an amazing resume. And again, people forget that head coaching job. I know it's a different role, but like that show, like he was in control of the offense. Like, I have to keep making that point. And he, he designed it. He brought guys in to fit it. And it was horrible. It was horrible with a great defense. How many games did they lose 21 to 16 or 19 to 13 or similar scores? Like that, that's the guy you want. Like, I, all right, if you want to bring him in as a run game coordinator, because he actually has had some success with uh, guys like Aaron Jones, Leonard Fournette, AJ Dillon. He can kind of get, he can kind of work with running backs. That's kind of his thing. He was a running backs coach before. Fine. I don't have a problem with that. You can't give this guy the keys. You can't. It's it's football malpractice. I, I agree. And like, I, it, they're gonna like. I, I'm not shocked they're interviewing him. I, I think he was somebody that a lot of people kind of pegged as somebody that hey, you know, this is somebody who has experience with Robert Sala. He's worked under Matt Lafleur. It makes sense that they're interviewing him. I'm not surprised. I'm not shocked. I'm honestly not even upset. I will be upset if they hire him. I don't think they're going to hire him. I think it's more likely he comes on as an offensive assistant than an offensive coordinator, and that's fine with me. I'd be totally fine with that. Let him be the veteran coach in the ear of somebody like a Brian Johnson or whoever. Um, and we could, we could jump to that as well, too, because there's been a lot of uh, over the last few days, you know, the, the Jets offensive coordinators, uh, the, the early candidates, I guess you could say, for the job have, have come up. Um, you know, whether it's Daryl Bevel, who we just received some news before the podcast that is uh, not going to be considering the Jets offensive coordinator positioning position, Nick Kelly, Kevin Petullo, Brian Johnson, Marcus Brady. They've all interviewed or will interview for the Jets offensive coordinator job. I think someone like Brian Johnson intrigues me the most, and it makes sense if you bring in him to pair with uh, Nathaniel Hackett. Brian Johnson, uh, if we can go on a little quick Brian Johnson tangent for a second, is probably Let's my, go on a Brian Johnson tangent. He was the cover it. athlete at NCAA football in the PS3 when he was with uh, Utah the year they went undefeated in the Sugar was he, Bowl. Was he I really? <laughs> was he really? I didn't even know that. Yeah, that was the year. That was before Utah was in the Pac-12. Is, and they were in the Mountain West, and they went undefeated. And I believe they beat Nick Saban in Alabama in the short because that was right after Cole Brennan, rest in peace, in Hawaii would score like sixty points every year, every game, and then they got killed. 
So like, oh, the Mountain West is terrible, and then Brian Johnson proved him wrong. I tried to quickly, quickly Wikipedia Brian Johnson, and I found the lead singer of the of ACDC. And that's all. Well, we could talk about him too. We got some time. <laughs> but Brian Johnson, I think, has the most impressive resume of all the specifically inexperienced coaches that the Jets are looking at. I guess really all the coaches the Jets are looking at now because. Daryl Bevel's out of the conversation and Nathaniel Hackett, we just spoke about his resume, but Brian Johnson was the QB coach of Dak Prescott in Mississippi state. He was the QB coach for, or the QB coach and offensive coordinator for Kyle Trask at Florida. The year that Trask had that record setting year that, you know, kind of pushed him up draft boards, put him on the map. And now he's the QB coach in Philadelphia where he's helped transform Jalen hurts from a, you know, a mid round draft pick to a legitimate all pro quarterback this year. That's an impressive resume. Every stop of the way uh, that, you know, he's had in his career, He's done good, and he's helped develop the quarterbacks that he's been paired with. And he does have offensive coordinator experience. He ran the offense in Florida. So that's somebody I'd be very interested in. Um, you know, again, he's 35 years old. He's inexperienced comparatively to a lot of people that the Jets or Jets fans are probably looking at, whether that's a Frank Reich or whoever. But I think of the guys the Jets have looked at so far, he's my favorite. Here's where I'll push back on both Kevin Chad, who wants look like I love Mike Kafka. He's not coming here, <laughs> but I'll push back on both Kev and Justin here in terms of their Brian Johnson uh, praise. Just philosophically, like let's just go back to like a week ago or two weeks ago. What were all the criticisms generally about Mike Lafleur just outside of play calling? Yeah, he didn't, it wasn't an amazing play caller. Everybody's an amazing play caller from the jump. It was that he was inexperienced, that he was too young. And then this was just too much too fast. So now let's look back at the hiring process that brought him here. They, Robert Sala gets here and he says, we're going to hire an assistant coach from one of the best offenses in the league who works primarily with quarterbacks. And after firing him, they're going to hire a first-time guy who's an assistant coach on one of the best offenses in the league that works a quarterback. So it really doesn't really seem like philosophically they're making a change. It's just Mike LaFleur versus – Michael Floor 2.0. Now, he has had some success with Jalen Hurts. I don't really think the Florida thing is as relevant to success in the NFL. It's because I think the way collegiate offenses are run, especially some of the ones that some of the things that he was doing, I don't know how much of it will really translate. Not to sound like an old farty, oh, he's not running a pro style offense. Not necessarily that. But Kyle Trask's Florida offense and what he's going to probably do with the Jets, not very similar. Of course. I, I think it shows that he can maximize the talent, though, around him and that he can develop quarterbacks. He helped develop Dak Prescott at Mississippi State. He helped develop Kyle Trask and basically got the best out of both of those guys in college. So even if not, even if he's not running the same system in the NFL, it's encouraging that wherever he's gone in his, you know, in his collegiate coaching career, he's found success. He's gotten quarterbacks to to exceed expectations and maximize their abilities. And that's exactly what he's done with with Jalen Hurts. Now, again, on the whole, the floor thing, we talked about it, you know, ad nauseum last week, but we're both in the camp that the Jets should not have fired Michael Floor. And I know that that's a hot take. I know, you know, people are clicking off the stream right now. That's, I understand. I understand. I like, I know a lot of people hated Michael Floor as a fly flying right around in front of my camera. Get out of here. Uh, <laughs> but uh, he, he's a prime Michael Floor doubter or whatever. Um, but uh, no, I, I know people hated Michael Floor, but part of the reason that I, we didn't want the Jets to move on from Michael Floor was because look at the options that they have here. Like, they're not, people are not jumping at this job. Daryl Bevel, re, right before we started this stream, uh, basically it was reported that he had declined the Jets and the commanders, so not just the Jets, but he had declined the Jets and commanders' offensive coordinator uh, request interviews because he wants to stick in Miami. Uh, I think it was Aaron Wilson that reported that he's just looking for the right situation and he doesn't believe that the Jets or commanders are that situation. And I don't blame him. He shouldn't. Why would a 
so someone like Bevel, right, who just had that stint in, in, in Jacksonville where it was a one-year stint. He had the two-year stint in Detroit where, you know, he was failed by Matt Patricia. He was failed by Urban Meyer in Jacksonville. Why would he want to go to the Jets where if the Jets don't make the playoffs this year, it's probably a one-year job. Like, I, I don't see why anybody like Bevel would want, would want this job. And someone like Brian Johnson – is probably as good as you're going to get because at least he's a he is a young coach and he does have uh you know a, a, an impressive resume but he's inexperienced. You're not going to be able to get in an experienced candidate like someone like Frank Reich who people would love. I'd love Frank Reich too, but he's not coming to Jets to be their offensive coordinator because it would just be a bad career move. Um, you know you could talk about the offensive weapons they have. They have Garrett Wilson. They have a returning Brees Hall. Uh, potentially a new quarterback, a good quarterback. Hopefully, um, we could talk about that, but. More, you know, the most important thing is job security, and you don't have that job security because you're, you're, you know, you're basically fighting for your life already in in season in, in year one, uh, and I think that that's an important thing to to discuss as well. Yeah. Let's just look at the six right now. There are six offensive coordinator openings in the league: the Chargers, the Rams, the Jets, the Patriots, the Commanders, and the Titans. Those are the six. Mm-hmm. Chargers and Rams, primo spots. They're going to get probably the best two candidates available, one of which might be Michael Floor. Right. It, sounds like, it sounds like Michael Floor is going to the Rams. So Exactly. Now, I guess – now, Sean McVay is probably not going to let you do much, but offensive coordinator of the Rams or quarterback coach of the Rams has been a head coach pipeline. It's Kevin McConnell. It's Matt LaFleur. It's Zach Taylor. That's where you go if you want to be a head coach. So they're going to get somebody. Chargers, people are going to be tripping over themselves, pushing their grandmother in front of buses if they could get the chance to coach Justin Herbert. So those are the two – Primo spots, the two best ones. Tennessee, weak division. Mike Vrabel, great coach. Derrick Henry, that's more attractive right now than the Jets, if I'm being honest. New England, yeah, I don't look. I know Mac Jones is not a particularly amazing quarterback. I think he's kind of in that bottom third. He's better than what the Jets got now. You're also not on a mandate of if we don't make the playoffs, everybody's fired. Mm-hmm. Washington might be the only one where I could conceivably look at it and say this is worse than what the Jets have. You know, they got Terry McLaurin. Because that division is loaded. Ron Rivera might be a lame duck after this year. That might be the only one where I go, okay, maybe. Like, like the Jets are not a desirable opening right now. So you're going to get guys that you want turning you down. And you're going to get stuck with a – let's just look at the last three guys they interviewed. Kevin Petulo, again, another Eagles assistant. But again, how much is he really doing? Because there's Brian Johnson, there's Nick Sirianni, there's Shane Steichen who's going to be a head coach very soon. Who's, what, the fourth guy in the pecking order? And also, for Jets fans, he was on that 2016 staff with Chan Gailey. Remember those offenses where the tight ends would catch 10 passes a year and Ryan Fitzpatrick that second year had more interceptions than touchdowns? Kevin Batula had a hand in that. The Christian Hackenberg years, Kevin Batula had a hand in that. Is that the guy you really want? So let's look at then at Nick Cayley. Nick Cayley, again, he's regarded as a very good assistant, tight ends coach right now for the New England Patriots. But again, I can't be too hyped about him because apparently Bill Belichick looked at him and said, I believe Matt Patricia is a better offensive coach at the beginning of the year. So how high of a regard is he really held in at the end of the day? Marcus Brady actually had some success with the offensive coordinator of the Indianapolis Colts last couple years. But again, Frank Ryder was calling the plays. So it was another first-time play caller. So the fact that I get that LaFleur did not perform amazing, but there's not this dream candidate out there. You ever hear that saying, if it's a good job, somebody would already be doing it? If there's a good coordinator, they ought to be hired by now. Yeah, no, you're not wrong. I, I, there's definitely downsides with all the candidates, and I think you're not going to get a Frank Reich. Like you're not going to get one of those those can't miss. Even like someone like Joe Brady, who you know maybe the Jets interview, he's been connected to that job. I'd love to see them try and bring him in. Someone like Greg Olson, I'd also like to see them bring in. As for the guys they've already interviewed, 
Um, I'll play the, I guess I'll play devil's advocate for a second. So for Kevin Petullo, he was a part of that 2016 staff. He was also part of that 2015 staff where Ryan Fitzpatrick had a franchise record season for the Jets. Um, you know, that's a depressing record. thought when you just say Ryan Fitzpatrick had a franchise hey, record season. He was great that year. Uh, maybe not. And then what happened? Yeah, maybe not week 17. But hey, 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 we were positive spin. Uh, so he, 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 you know, he was part of that staff. Now, how much of a role did he play in that? I don't know. Uh, because obviously you had Fitzpatrick, you had uh, uh, you know Brandon Marshall, Eric Decker, like there's other people that play there. But he was a part of that 2015 staff. For Nick Cayley, I know he was passed over by the Patriots in favor of Matt Patricia, and now it sounds like he'd be passed over in favor of Bill O'Brien. They are interviewing Nick Cayley. He did interview for that offensive coordinator position because you know the Patriots have the opening, like you mentioned. He did interview for that position or will interview or something. I saw that report. Um, but I don't think he's going to get it. It sounds like they're going to pass him over again for Bill O'Brien. It seems like he's held in high regard in that organization, but Bill Belichick would much rather prefer his buddies, his experienced buddies, over someone like Kelly. I know uh, Tom Belisario, you know, he puts out every year the list of future coaches to watch, right? Like guys like Michael Ford were on that list recently. Uh, guys, you know, basically these are names, these are assistants to keep an eye on in the future, potential coordinators or even potential head coaches. Kelly was on that list uh, in, in 2021 because the Patriots held him in high regard and they still do. They do keep pay- passing him over, though. And I think more so that's just going to lead to Kaylee wanting to leave. Um, you know, obviously his his resume isn't the most impressive. He's never been anything more than a position coach at any level. He was never even a coordinator in college. His highest role in college was, I believe, a secondary coach. Uh, so he's he's not really held anything above a position coach label. But he is Why don't we build the whole plane out of defensive back coaches. That'll, that'll yeah. fix it. It is interesting, I guess, for the you know, in, in the in the sense that the Patriots did want to keep him because when when Josh McDaniels left to go to Vegas, he brought with him, I believe, three or four assistants. The Patriots specifically blocked him from, from taking Nick Cayley. He was the only coach that they said, no, you can't take. So clearly they do hold him in some regard, even if they're not like, we're gonna give you the keys to the offense and we'd rather a defensive coordinator call plays. They still hold him in high regard, I guess. Uh, and yeah, Mark Brady, quarterbacks. Nope, we're going to have the special teams coach do it. I, I know it's I. The Patriots, what they did with that offensive staff for the last year is is another story. That is a mess in its own right. Um, but and then Marcus Brady, I feel like I'm not. I'm not. I feel like you're higher on Marcus Brady than I am because it's just like whatever. He had a disappointing. I would call it a disappointing stint with the Colts. Um, I believe he was a, a CFL coordinator a few years before that. Like I. Nothing really, you know, speaks to me on his resume, but he was an offensive coordinator in the NFL, so I guess that's why they're bringing him in. You know, I, I, he also has the benefit of saying, "I know that Frank Reich was that was his offense again," which is the same thing that we said, you know, with Hackett as the head coach. I get all that, but also when he left and Reich left, that thing immediately went in the gutter to a, a shocking degree. It did. We could just lean on that about like, look what what it was like when I was there, because again, they were one win away from the playoffs with Carson Wentz, yeah, a year ago, and Jonathan Taylor was running for a billion yards. And then they left, and they immediately they just keep stepping on rakes like sideshow Bob and can't get out of their own way. He's at least got that going for him. I will say it's a it is a shame that Daryl Bevel is not interested in a job because I and I know that's another like name like Michael Floor people just hate him. I am in the camp that I wouldn't have hated a Daryl Bevel hire. I'm not saying he would have been a home run hire. He's not. I would have preferred obviously someone like Frank Reich or even a Joe Brady. But he is at least an experienced coordinator who has had success in the NFL. Um, and I think he you know, he got scapegoated in Jacksonville by a terrible coaching staff. He wasn't even that bad in Detroit. Uh, he was just, again, let down by a terrible coaching staff around him, Matt Patricia. 
I think that Daryl Bevel is somebody that I would have been okay with the Jets hiring, especially because he is that veteran coach that they want to bring in. Fortunately, or unfortunately, it's not going to happen now, and they're you know down in options. Somebody that people thought was the perceived favorite. He had been called the perceived favorite. He was somebody who a lot of people thought the Jets were going to hire, or at least that they were eyeing. It's not going to happen now. So I, I'd say it's a shame that, unfortunately, he's out of the loop. I do want to ask you real quick, Mike. Of So we know who the Jets have interviewed. Right, we know the five names, or that they they will interview, or, or already have. Who is somebody that you have not seen that they've interviewed yet? Maybe they they've been mentioned in the past. Uh, maybe we've already mentioned them right now on this podcast. That you would want the Jets to interview and to hire as the office coordinator. I have a one and a one A, and okay. I don't want to stump too hard for these guys because I don't want to act like they're saviors because they're really just average to above average coaches. So I really don't want to go all in on them. But I would love if either Greg Olson or Joe Brady ends up as the offense coordinator of the Jets. Greg Olson has been a coordinator for, I think 2003 or four was his first offensive coordinator job. So this has been a guy has been around the block a lot, just coming off a year with Sean McVay, probably picked up a couple things. And everywhere he's gone, at the very least, even if some things have gone awry, he's gotten decent quarterback play. It's part of the reason Derek Carr is what he is. So I'll be happy with that. And then Joe Brady, a thousand percent, got scapegoated in Carolina. One thousand percent. For those that don't know, Joe Brady was the offensive coordinator on the 2019 LSU team where Joe Burrow was throwing for 10,000 yards to Jamar Chase and Justin Jefferson. He then comes to Carolina as Matt Rule's offensive coordinator. And he had Teddy Bridgewater really cooking, almost 70% completion, almost 4,000 yards. And then the audacity that he couldn't make Sam Darnold franchise quarterback, Matt Rule fired him. And now he's the quarterback coach for the Buffalo Bills with Josh Allen. He deserves a second chance. I think the Jets are in a position where they can give him that second chance. I agree with you. As far as experienced names go and veterans that the Jets could legitimately and realistically hire, Greg Olson makes the most sense to me, especially if you're going after someone like Derek Carr. I think, honestly, I'd go as far as to say if the Jets do hire Greg Olson, they've made it very clear that Derek Carr is their top target. I, I think I would go as far as saying that because he's had multiple stints. I believe Olson had multiple stints with the Raiders as their offensive coordinator. He did a good job, a good enough job with Carr. Um, as well as we talked about it before uh, when we we're talking about Nathaniel Hackett, he was he was the offensive coordinator uh, for that Jacksonville team that, that went to the AFC Championship game that had Blake Bortles thrown for 35 touchdowns, whatever it was. He's has enough of a track record, and of course he has that experience with Derek Carr uh, that I'd be happy bringing him in. I don't think, again, like you mentioned, he's the savior, but I think he's a good coach. Uh, and as for Joe Brady, yeah, I mean, he rose up the ranks in 2019. I don't know if he was the offensive coordinator. He was headed as a high-ranking assistant in LSU for sure. I think he was the quarterback's coach, pass game coordinator, whatever he was. Uh, but he got a lot, a lot of credit for the work that he did in LSU, enough so that it earned him an offensive coordinator job. In fact, I believe he was interviewing for head coaches uh, or for head coaching jobs, or at least like on the head coach radar before he joined the Panthers. And unfortunately his stock tanked because of a terrible offense or a terrible coaching staff around him. Matt Rule's staff was a total failure. That team around him was a failure. He didn't have anything at quarterback. Like you said, he got scapegoated. I don't think, I also don't think he was perfect and I don't think he was fully ready to run an offense the way he was asked to. I'd like to think that in the future he will be. And maybe the future is now. Maybe he's already learned enough, you know, working under Sean McDermott in Buffalo. Maybe now he's ready. Uh, and I don't know, and I don't think it's possible for us to say, but I'd be very happy for with Joe Brady because it's it's a swing for defense's move. It's a guy who was held in a super high regard uh, before the Panthers hired him and kind of tanked his stock. So I'd be happy with Joe Brady. I'd be happy with Greg Olson. I agree with you both ways. 
Now, no matter who they hire, the one saving grace, and we said it's not an amazing job to take, the one saving grace is that they have a fantastic collection of young talent. Because for all the criticism that has been levied at Joe Douglas, and I am certainly not one who has shied away from that because you can't blow Makai Becton and Zach Wilson back-to-back and then be regarded as a, you know this perfect ideal of a GM. But he freaking nailed it. In 2022, three first-round picks. One of them, I can't believe Jermaine Johnson to this day was available that late. All of them immediately contributed. Sauce Gardner, locked defensive rookie of the year. Garrett Wilson, I would say probably offensive rookie of the year in my mind. I know Kenneth Walker. I know Chris Olave. I'd say Garrett Wilson because he's proven to be quarterback-proof as a rookie. You cannot get a worse situation than the Jets had. Again, as we said last podcast, maybe Carolina. That's arguing semantics. It's 31st versus 32nd. Who cares? And Wilson at 1,100 yards. Jermaine Johnson, I know the sack numbers weren't gaudy, but Jermaine Johnson had some really impressive plays, especially as a run stopper for an edge that young. It's very rare to see a guy come in and immediately make that. I know he's older. Still very rare to see that. Brees Hall, I know he got banged up. That offense ran through Brees Hall. Brees Hall was unbelievable. And he's going to be the focal point of the offense, I think, going forward with how much Salah probably wants to just keep pounding it. And then look at some of the later picks. I mean, Michael Clemens, scariest dude in the league, instant contributor. Max Mitchell did his job when asked to. The only one who really didn't contribute a ton was Jeremy Rucker. And again, that's not really his fault. He just got drafted to a team that had Tyler Conklin is getting paid a lot of money, and C.J. Uzama is getting paid a ton of money. There's a good chance. The only team that I really think had a draft class even close to this go would be Seattle. Because I know that there's some back and forth between the fans. Tariq Wollin's really good. He's not sauce. He's really, really good. And two starting tackles are Charles Cross and Abraham Lucas. Other than that, the Jets, by far, in my opinion, have the best rookie class. Yeah, I, I don't. I don't think it's close. I think Jets and Seattle uh, are so much better than any other draft class this year. And like, there's been some good ones out there, but both of those teams nailed it. Like, just completely nailed it. Drafted numerous starting players, numerous star players. Tariq Wall in the fifth round for Seattle is probably the best pick of the entire draft. Uh, and you know, pending what happens with Brock Purdy, we'll stop forty guy on my board. All I'm saying. There you go. There you go. Man. We'll get into that draft talk, uh, you know, in, in the future. But oh, you bet we will. Yeah, uh, I gotta start doing more draft stuff, man. It's I didn't do it for a lot of the year because I was like, hey, man, playoffs, and then look at this. That's what I get. That's Jack what, Wilson happened. Yeah, that's what I get. Um, but uh, yeah, I mean, Seattle's draft was phenomenal. But I do think I would give the edge to the Jets. You saw, Connor was was the best cornerback in football in, in 2022. He was the best cornerback in football. And the fact that we're saying that about a rookie, I don't care if he was the fourth overall pick, you know, that's not something you expect from any rookie. He had probably the best season of any rookie cornerback in NFL history. One of the best cornerback seasons of the past 20 years. Like his numbers are comparable to 09 Revis, 09 Woodson, to 2012 Richard Sherman, to 2019 Stephon Gilmore. If you look into the numbers, they're, they're comparable. He was unbelievable this year i mean we it doesn't make for a great podcast but we could talk for an hour about how good sauce gardner was in 2022 because he was phenomenal first uh, edition of the jet press trivia he's the first uh rookie to be named an all pro first team cornerback in over 40 years who was the last one it was uh oh i literally saw the stat hold on ronnie lott it was ronnie lott oh i thought i get you i got you no i, yes. I saw that I, oh. I tweeted it out or I, I quote tweeted it or something like that i saw jets that. legend ronnie lott that's Played right. For he, did, a he, year. he was a year. He was a year, a year with the Jets. That's right. You're a defensive back doing anything, though. And they said the only other person to do this is Ronnie Lott. 
You're doing all right. Yeah, we got to do one of those in the future where we like just throw out random Jets names about guys who like that's that's an all oh, that's a summer thing, but we should do that in the future. <laughs> like, remember, you know, remember uh, Matt Mulligan, you know, something like that. But uh, um, yeah, so Sauce Gardner, phenomenal. Garrett Wilson, your tenth overall pick, was the best rookie receiver in football this year. Either him or Chris Olave, both are phenomenal. But like you said, I'd give the edge to Wilson because at least Olave had semi-competent quarterback play. Dalton was not that bad this year. Andy Dalton he really was wasn't. <laughs> uh, and I, I know people, Andy Dalton, he was not that bad this year. Garrett Wilson had probably the worst quarterback play in the NFL. I don't even know if I want to say probably. He had the worst quarterback play in the NFL. Uh, and he still put up over 1,100 yards and was phenomenal. He sets new, set numerous Jets rookie records. He's a great player. Top 20 receiver. You could say top 15. You could, I wouldn't say top 10, but I think you could definitely argue he's top 15 right now. Uh, as a rookie, that's incredible. Jermaine Johnson, like you mentioned, contributed. He was part of a very deep defensive line rotation, but he contributed probably underwhelming for a first round pick, but he wasn't asked to do more. I think we'll see that role increase as we go to 2023. Um, and then Brees Hall, I think that's the the icing on the cake that set, you know settles this as the best draft class in the NFL because before he got hurt, he was a top 10 running back in football and one of the best offensive, like one of the most productive and valuable offensive players in the entire league. That's how good he was. And if he stayed healthy the entire year, he could have been one of the, the best running backs in football. He could have been a top five rusher in the NFL by the end of the year. That's the pace he was on. He led the Jets in rushing for crying out loud. He, did. He, had to, he played seven games and led the, he played six and a half games. And he didn't even start like the first couple. Like he was still splitting time uh, earlier in the year. And he already, and he still led the Jets in rushing now. That says a lot about the Jets rushing game after Brees Hall got hurt, but that also speaks volumes to how good Brees Hall was and how valuable and important he was to this team. So just drafting Brees Hall, Garrett Wilson, Sauce Gardner, that alone right there, those are three superstars. Like the, no other draft class. Seattle drafted starters, and you know, Tariq Willen, I would say, is, is a star at this stage. But they didn't draft superstars. They drafted good players. I wouldn't call Kenneth Walker a star. Uh, they drafted good players, starting players at a lot of different areas. And they got great value on guys like Abraham Lucas, like Kobe Bryant, like Tariq Woolen. They got really good value. The Jets drafted superstars. And I think for that reason, you have to say that. And yes, as uh, as Brian says here in the chat, on a bottom floor for run blocking team, no less. The Jets out of the line significantly uh, – um, diminished as the year went on but even when Brees was there it wasn't great like it wasn't a great situation and he was still making plays uh so absolutely i agree that i think the jets had the best rookie class this year and i mean you can realistically talk about how good it was just overall like how how uh in, in history when's the last rookie class we've seen that was this good the saints maybe with marshawn Lattimore, uh alvin Kamara, ryan ramchick marcus williams that one comes to mind but there aren't, there haven't been that many that have had the immediate impact that the Jets have had in in really any you know draft class that I can think of. I think it's already the best draft class, Jets draft class in their history in terms of year one impact. I think for sure. Now I don't want to call them the seventy four Steelers where they picked four Hall of Famers in the same draft yet, and actually five because Donnie Shell I believe is an undrafted free agent. So I don't want to go that far, but. It gave me – I know there's still a little bit of a Joe Douglas kind of mini-war going on. It gave me a little bit more confidence in Joe Douglas moving forward that he's going to be able to replicate this. Because if, right now, you can look at Joe Douglas one of two ways. He's either the guy that drafted Garrett Wilson, Sauce Gardner, and Jermaine Johnson in the same day, or he's the guy who used first-round picks on Mekhi Becton and Zach Wilson. And then also had oh, – let's not forget some of his other picks. I mean, Denzel Mims hasn't worked out. Michael P. Ryan – 
some of the other ones. Was James Morgan a Douglas pick? I believe he was, right? Uh, yeah, yeah he was. You did Douglas's first class. That was that. Uh, 2020 I was class. I was over at the uh, Shrine game, and I still can't believe because James Morgan dominated at the Shrine game. I still can't believe that <laughs> that He's he did bouncing around. Out. Isn't he still on an NFL roster? I swear he was bouncing around. Remember, he was on Carolina for a while. Oh, I, I'm sorry. He's he is on the roster. <clears throat> He's on the Pittsburgh Maulers of the USFL. Oh, that's an elite organization that's very yeah. professional. Yeah. <laughs> I, I remember that they signed Carolina signed him. I think before Zach Wilson's first game. Yeah, he he was with the Colts and the Cardinals as well as the Panthers. Oh, he was with the Steelers, so that he you know he's he's well versed in Pittsburgh football. So good for him. Well, if I need a pierogi recipe, I'll talk to James Morgan. Yeah. <laughs> but uh, the. Uh, I, I guess the question I want to ask is where do you stand on the whole Douglas thing? Because you can't just erase the Beckton and the Wilson picks or the Denzel Mims pick. Like, they're there. So I just need to know, like, do you have confidence in Douglas going forward and his ability to replicate the Garrett Wilson saw, or at least an approximation of it? Because yeah. the success rate has really varied wildly on his premium picks, at least. Yeah, and I want to I want to mention what Kev said here, and I'm going to pretty much agree with what he said. He said the 2023 draft, he meant the 2022 draft, saved Joe Douglas after his failures in his other drafts. And yeah, we just talked about it, but that's absolutely kind of true. Uh, Joe Douglas is, I, I know Jets fans have, have really praised Joe Douglas, and I have as well. I really like the work he's done with this roster, and it's it's hard to ignore how much the Jets roster has improved since he took over. But he has a lot of misses, specifically, obviously, the quarterback position is the big one. But it's not the only miss he has had. I mean, look at this past free agent class. Outside of DJ Reed, there's a lot of misses there. Uh, obviously, the big one is Lakin Tomlinson, who was a, you know, close to a disaster in his first year with the Jets. Uh, the tight ends, I think C.J. Uzama and Tyler Conklin were good. But I think specifically Uzama was underutilized. Uh, and then, you know, you look at uh, just, you know, the Braxton Berrios deal looks bad now. There's, Jordan there's, Whitehead. Yeah, there, Jordan Whitehead. And then relying on LaMarcus Joyner as a free safety. There's a lot of misses, even aside from his misses in the draft. Uh, he's done a great job getting value. And I think that's the biggest thing he's done is, is with the trades with Jamal Adams deal, the Sam Darnold deal. He's done a lot of really good work with that. And also great work on the waiver wire, getting guys like Quincy Williams, like John Franklin Myers like Braxton Berrios before this season, Ty Johnson, like a lot of these dudes have come off the waiver and he's done a really good job there. But I am still in the camp that I believe that Joe Douglas is a good general manager. However, the misses are hard to ignore. And this offseason, I mean, it's it's this is goes without saying, but this will make or break his future with the Jets. Uh, if and it, it really just it all comes down to the quarterback position, because even the best GMs out there have misses all over. They, they really do. They, every GM out there has a bunch of misses on their resume. But if you nail it at the quarterback position, if you succeed there and you get the right guy in the building, those go away. We talked about it last last uh, podcast when we were talking about Mike LaFleur. The Jets have weaknesses on this roster. But if you bring a good quarterback in there, those weaknesses will feel a lot less insignificant. We can talk all day about how they need two new safeties, how they need some help at linebacker. Offensive line is a more legitimate concern. The Jets have issues at, at other positions. You can even say wide receiver outside of Garrett Wilson. They could potentially upgrade there. But – at the end of the day, if you get a good quarterback in there, if Joe Douglas can bring a good quarterback to this organization, those weaknesses are not going to seem as significant. And and Joe Douglas, is, his resume, his legacy is going to be, you know, he's going to be the guy who brought a quarterback to New York, to the Jets, which is someone, you know, we haven't, we can't say anyone's really done that since the Jets had Joe name it. So it all comes down to that to me. I think he's done a good job, but hit on the quarterback position. That's your job. Get it right. Get the good quarterback in there. I will push back on Brian and chat. Worst draft class franchise history in 2020. I mean, the Idzik 12 is still very much, very <laughs> much in play there. That was, I mean, we don't forget D Milliner 
too easily in this house. D. Milliner, to me, might be the most frustrating Jets pick ever because every single Alabama defensive back pick that high except him has been amazing, or at least very good right out of the box, except for him. So just personally, Brian, I get the 2020s up there, but I, for me, every time I hear the anything even approximating Idzik's last name, I just can't stop thinking of D. Milliner and – when they took Jalen Saunders and cut him after five weeks and all these other guys. Jeremiah George. What? Excuse me? Jeremiah George. Oh, yeah, Jeremiah George. It's just a graveyard. And Quincy and Newman was the one who hit. But (laughs) Who would have thought, man? I I will say Brian's probably right about one thing. He did say that that Zach Wilson was the worst draft pick in franchise history of 2021. I think – I mean, obviously, look, he's still on the roster, but – Right now, it's not a stretch to say that at all, that he was the worst pick in franchise history. And that's that's saying a lot because the Jets have had a lot of those. I mean, they, they've they had so many, from Vernon Golston to you know anybody. There is so many. Kyle Brady, like it, the list goes on. Blair Thomas. Blair Thomas. Like, I, we don't need the – we could spend an entire hour recapping the Jets' draft <laughs> failures in the past. And maybe we will one day because that sounds like actually a fun time. That's a very um, masochistic of, of content, Justin. It's the Jets Jets podcast, man. You think this is going to be all great stuff? You think we're all going to be happy and talking about, you know, everything is, everything's good. The Jets history is so great. It's not. This is real life. (laughs) Yeah, this is, this is real life. This is the New York Jets, man. This is, this is reality. Uh, And also, this is the end of our show, I'd say. I think that we've, we've hit on everything. We've talked about Lamar Jackson. We've talked about the offensive coordinator situation. We've hit on a lot. Uh, and there's going to be a lot more to discuss next week. Maybe we'll have some more candidates. Maybe we'll know what's going on. Either way, thank you all for joining us on the show today. You can follow Mike on Twitter at by Mike Luciano. Follow me on Twitter at Justin T. Freed. Follow the Jet Press at the Jet Press. Download the Jet Press podcast wherever you get your podcast, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, wherever. Also, check us out on YouTube. Subscribe, like, notify, you know, hit the notification bell, all that stuff. You guys, you guys know what to do. You've, you've done this before. Thank you guys for listening to Jet Press podcast. I've been Justin Freed. That's been Mike Luciano. We'll see you guys next week. See you guys next week. Save big on your Memorial Day barbecue. All in the Kroger app. Get three pound rolls of juicy 80% lean ground beef for $3.49 a pound with a digital coupon. Then get select varieties of flavorful Powerade, Body Armor Super Drink, or Arizona tea for 77 cents each, all with your card. Shop these deals at your local Kroger today. Or tap the screen now to download the Kroger app to save big today. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Prices and product availability subject to change. Restrictions apply. See site for details.